a lot of potential areas of rejection, not feeling love, not feeling part of the tribe. A lot of things with money has to do with this primal feeling, primal need for security and safety. One of the things that I, examples I give is like when you're driving and somebody cuts you off, you feel that primal response. Whether you think someone did it intentionally, whether you feel your safety was in danger, whether you feel your ego is threatened, like, oh, they should have put on their blinker, whatever it comes from, that is your survival mind recognizing that as a potential threat to you. And so it creates this threat response. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. Welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time joining us here, welcome to the show. This is your host, Alex Kremer. I am joined by an absolutely awesome guest here, Mr. Tim Pereira. Tim, first off, what's up, brother? Good to see you. What's going on, man? It's happy Friday. I'm excited for today. I try and keep Fridays light. And so I know what's ahead and I'm ready for it. <laughs> Man, it does feel good to be a Friday. It's been one of those weeks where I'm just like, I am ready for the weekend. But let me just kind of tee up this conversation here. So Tim, you are the founder and performance coach of Per Wellness. And we got introed, I would say about six months or so ago, at least I started following you on LinkedIn and really started resonating a lot with your message around what you are bringing to the world. You have a history of working within the tech space. You worked at Salesforce, you worked at Fricata, you worked at Rev systems. Also, one thing that I really liked and respect about you is you're a fellow San Diego. And I think you live in Encinitas, which is right there where I lived when I was growing up, which is awesome. And Tim, you have a very powerful story when it comes to mental health and the impact that it can bring to sales, the impact that it can bring to leadership. You've dealt with your own journey that just through our conversations, it's been tough. It's been not always easy to get through, but through going through that journey, you have found the elixir, talking about the hero's journey, and brought that back to be able to impact so many people in a profound way on their mental health journey, and you continue to spread that message. So first off, I want to say thank you for being on the show, man. I'm just pumped to dive in here and to gain some nuggets or two from you. Yeah, dude, me too. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Our brief chats have been great. So I love what you're doing too with the community and just overall with the mission and helping people. So yeah, excited to jump in today. Dude, we're changing the new wave of rising leadership here. So let's dive in, man. So you've been doing per wellness here for a little bit of time. You've really started to gain some momentum of not just your community that you're building, but the people that you're supporting and also really the message around mental health, mental performance, you know, helping people where they're at. So I guess let's go back if we could to, I guess, where it all began. You were in tech sales, you were crushing it on paper, so to speak, and maybe underline it wasn't as much, I guess. How did all of this begin? And we can kind of go from there. Yeah. Would you like me to start, I mean, a little bit of the sales journey and how that I feel like that would probably resonate with some people? Hell yeah. Yeah. Let's start there. And I even like to go maybe a step back from there too, is I played sports my whole life. I played sports through college. I played a little bit of baseball. And even though I knew I wasn't going pro because I didn't even really play on my college team. So what pro team would bring me on. But that was the first 
transition of my life where I was starting to question, who am I? What am I about? What am I interested in? I just poured every single thing I had into baseball, like was so dedicated. It was my whole life. And then college ended and okay, now what? So I had to find some footing in the professional world. So what did that mean? You know, I went to school to study business. I was really in school to play baseball. So I bring that up because it took a few years to find my footing. And I ended up landing and I tried one sales role, wasn't really a good fit and then found another one. And sales made sense to me. I was like, man, I can bust my butt. I know that the harder I work, more or less, or the better I get, I can see those rewards immediately in terms of commission payouts. That was a clear path to me. That made sense. And so when I nestled into my first role at Revel, things really started to click. I mean, I really was hyper-focused on myself and my performance, getting better at my job, getting better speaking with customers, getting better with like my teammates and everybody around me and did really, really well. So for the next couple of years, just, you know, climbed the ladder, shot right up in the rankings, won MVP award, number one rep in the world, moved to New York City to manage a sales office and two sales teams out there. Things were going great, you know, was making more money than I thought I would at age 27, for sure. I was on a fast track. A lot of things started to happen. I mean, I was living in San Francisco at the time before moving to New York City. I was about to move in with my girlfriend at the time. We broke up a week before moving in together. And around that time, my CRO came to me. He's like, hey, you can have this promotion in San Francisco. What I'd really like you to do is move to New York City and do all this. So I was like, well, I got nothing holding me here anymore. So let me let me go. What I didn't do, of course, because I didn't know how, was process that breakup after a long relationship, which was obviously serious. We're moving in together. And I just decided to jet across country, move into a big city with millions of people and get back to the grind, get back to pouring everything I had into work and just focus on climbing the ladder to VP of sales as quick as possible and making as much money as possible. That was really it. That was the goal. And so it was a tough time. Anybody that's in a long relationship and there was nothing crazy that happened. We just went our separate ways. But now I'm 3,000 miles away from anybody I knew, any support system. I had guys on my team, but they weren't close friends in the sense of that. Like there were still a little bit of boundaries is my point. And so some things happened with that company. And over the next few years, I ended up leaving. I ended up moving to Chicago, changed jobs, changed jobs again when I was in Chicago. Things were just not as clear as they once were. I found myself less motivated by work. I was like, what is the purpose of this? What am I really working towards? I would work my tail off for, we were on monthly quotas, work my tail off, hit quota. And then all of a sudden I wake up the next day and the number's back at zero. And I'm like, I don't mind going after goals and working hard for sure. But I started to question, what is this for? What am I stressing out for so much? What am I really burning myself out for every single month? It just resets. And so you get enough of those. And even though good money is coming in, I think someone that had a clear passion and purpose, again, I think of baseball my whole life. Now I'm like, wait, is this just for money? This became clear in hindsight, I should say. In the moment, it just felt like something was off. I felt stuck. I felt like I was at a crossroads. I felt like I need to change it up. I need to change companies. Okay, I changed companies. That didn't work. Okay, I need to change companies again. Okay, this isn't working. Okay, you know what? Where I, I think it's where I'm living. Let me change cities. Let me move there. And so I did that. And then I was at a point, I was like, you know what? This isn't working. I need a complete reset. So I got a visa to move to Australia. I was going to go coach CrossFit and bartend to just reset, figure out what tech company I wanted to work for, come back, start it all over again. That ended up not happening. And I went to Verkata. I went to another tech company one of my best friends was working at. And sure enough, same thing happened. Lack of clarity, 
didn't really know why I was doing what I was doing. I was doing a lot of unhealthy habits. I was no longer working out like I once was. I was drinking heavily on the weekends, just a lot of things. And I didn't know what was going on. And ultimately, that led to pretty shitty performance at work. I mean, if you don't know why you're waking up and why you're showing up every day, it's going to show up in how you're performing and showing up as yourself. So long, long way of saying I ended up getting fired. What I said to myself in that moment was, you need to get your fucking life back. Remember, I was looking at myself, stooped over my bathroom sink, staring in the mirror, and I felt like I had been so disconnected and severed from who I really was at my core. And I just felt like I didn't even know that guy anymore. But what I had been doing was so misaligned and I didn't know why. And it was just a moment I was like, you know what? We're not going to chase money anymore because clearly money hasn't made you happy. So that's not the answer. And it may be starting a business. It may be something else. But all we're going to do is just follow whatever your gut says. Whatever you truly think you want to do, that's what we're going to do. And then I had this idea to start Per. I always wanted to make workout shorts. So it started as manufacturing and sourcing clothes overseas or workout shorts specifically for men. And I did that for 18 months. And during that process, I started to fine tune my business strategy. And I was like, you know what I really want to do is get into the wellness space. I've been passionate about exercise, passionate about health. I read books on mindset and nutrition and all this stuff. Anyway, let me start writing about that. And during that process, after I was fired, I heard this idea that everything in life in general is neutral and it's only our mind that creates meaning. And in that moment, everything made sense to me. When I looked back on the four years of struggling and depression I went through and moving across country three times, changing jobs four times, really watching my performance tank every single year. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's me. It has nothing to do with the cities. It has nothing to do with the jobs, the product I was selling, like the money I was making. It has to do with my thoughts, my beliefs, my perspective about my life. Obviously, I wasn't better overnight. That's, you know, didn't work that way, unfortunately. But it gave me clarity into what I needed to focus on. And so I began working on, okay, how can I learn about my thoughts? Where are these coming from? How can I figure out how to rewire them? Can I reprogram? Can I replace them with better beliefs, with better thoughts? Is it just goal setting that will do it? Do I meditate? Do I write? So I started trying every single thing you'd find online built it into routines, habits, all that stuff to try and gain some progress. So it took me about four months of doing that every day, really turned the corner with depression. Another few months felt like it was actually sticking and it was sustaining. And then I started sharing about it online. I share this because in the beginning, I wanted to start a clothing company. And after a few months of going through that whole process, I started sharing about mental health and wellness online for men specifically and my experience in tech sales and all of the burnout and stress and made up urgency around it and how that impacted me and toxic work environments and drinking culture and all of these things that can influence us. What happened was the response by men just started reaching out, raising their hand, raising their hand, saying, this is me, this is me. For a year that happened. And then so at the tail end of that year of posting and talking about it, it finally hit me. And I was like, wait, probably shouldn't be making shorts right now. Like I should work directly with men. There should be a community, a coaching involved, group coaching involved. So long, long story, long way of saying like that was the path I took and how getting started in a business and following a passion, following a dream, like diving more into things I was interested in ultimately led me to so much clarity in who I want to help, what I want to help them with and how I want to help them. It's kind of how we ended up here with Per and what we're trying to do with men. 
The thing that resonates the most with me there, I mean, a lot of it resonates, but trying to find joy slash happiness slash fulfillment from something outside of yourself. You spoke about moving to different types of cities. Is it New York? Is it Chicago? What about Australia? What about my job? Is it Verkata? Is it Salesforce? Is it Revel? Is it a relationship that's finally going to be making me happy? Is it the amount of money that's going to be finally able to make me happy? And I think many people, myself very much included, have experienced that searching for that joy from something outside of us that will finally make us feel good. And unfortunately, it's a fleeting feeling. So share it a little bit more, if you would, of like when you would try to find that thing that was going to finally make you feel good from outside. Like, what was the impact as you were searching for it and trying so many different things outside of you? What was the impact of that on you? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it shows up in different ways. I think specifically of moving a lot. I move not only across country three times, but all of them were on three weeks notice or less. And I think there was a piece of me that could justify it because I did like adventure. I did like travel. I did like trying new cities. And so that was a voice that was leading. But in reality, anytime something would get tough, instead of working through it in the moment, I would just look for a change. The impact, I think for me, was I never really got below anything surface level for years in figuring out how my own mind worked, struggles that I had, what I was trying to work on. And so an example of moving cities so much is like I never had local community. It's so hard to build any local presence or local community or relationships or any kind of roots, you could say, when you're moving 16 times in 12 years. It's just incredible. Yeah, I have friends that are now all over the world, but I'm like, I don't have a local community or local friend group. That was big. I think moving or changing jobs a lot as well. The voice that was leading it was like, oh, this is a better opportunity. Grass is going to be greener. And perhaps it was, and perhaps there were moments, but like I never got to settle in. Again, I think of relationship. So much of what happens in your career is like you build relationships within companies you work for. And then that's typically, I find your network when you look for a job five, 10 years down the line, or you're looking for an opportunity, or you want to start a business, I think of some of the best relationships I have or at the companies I stayed at the longest when people I really connected with. By bouncing around a bunch, I started to have that less and less. And it was this self-fulfilling cycle of not really having purpose and meaning, but also constantly changing so many things to try and find it. I think the challenge for me was I never allowed myself to really settle in never settle in, never handle, never deal with any of the deeper challenges that were going on. So the impact for me really was four years of depression. That's really what it came to, like not being myself, reacting to situations that were less than desirable, getting irritated often, not being super patient, not being as kind to others as I knew I could be, like not allowing others to get close to me, not having a romantic relationship for five or six years. And a lot of it really just from trying to escape pain, find answers outside of me, going back to what we were saying, I was searching, but I was really searching in the wrong place. And it was really just through escape. So ultimately what it did is it just prolonged healing and it not only extended pain, but the pain got worse with time. It was tough. I kept getting worse ultimately till getting fired and looking at myself in the mirror ended up being that that rock bottom place for me personally in my life. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about not being present with where you are and who you're with. There's looking over the shoulder of the person of like, yeah, you're great, but like, I know there's something more. Or even where you live of like, yeah, this place is great, but I know I'm not supposed to be living here full time. At least in my experience, it's a fear of settling in and almost bringing a level of intimacy with someone, not necessarily just romantically, but truly being in true friendship with somebody, truly saying like, hey, this is where I live. This is my community and allowing people in (laughs) to your own as well. And that's really hard to do, especially when there is, like I view it in myself, even as I think about it, it's like, it's like a frenetic energy. My eyes get wide. I'm like looking for something outside of me so I don't have to deal with whatever thing this is. That's fear at the end of the day. Yeah, that's so well put. You know, I've just learned so much about through this process of self-discovery and, you know, redefining what vulnerability means. And I think through this process, learning at the core of self-compassion and self-love in accepting all of who you are, your humanity, your inadequacies, your insecurities, your fears, everything, maybe your shortcomings, as you are as a human, that's table stakes for growth. You have to be able to do that. When you really lean into that and you do that, it then allows you to do that for others and accept people for who they are without judgment, where they're at, understanding that we're just doing the best we can within our level of awareness. And when it comes to building relationships, at the core of any meaningful, deep relationship is trust. Relationships are built on trust and trust is built through vulnerability. And so if you're at a state where you're constantly worried what others are going to think about you, if you're fearing rejection, if you're fearing failure, again, judgment, what you're going to do is just try and make up for that fact. Try and present yourself as a certain version, wear a veil so that you show up in a certain light so you can try and control circumstance around you, control what people are going to think about you so you can garner their approval. And that comes down to this sense of unworthiness that we have about ourselves and the severe judgment that we place upon ourselves. And when we do that, we're terrified to show up vulnerably I know vulnerable, vulnerability is kind of like a icky term, especially for a lot of men. But really what it shows is you're just acting in the face of a little bit of fear. It's this courageous act. So going back to relationships, the more I noticed when I started to work on acceptance for myself and really work to replace my inner critic with an inner best friend and start to treat myself like I would my best friend and not be so harsh, not talk so much shit to myself and show up with that love and compassion man, it took this massive weight off my chest. And I started to show up that way with others. I started to not care so much what others thought about me, or I didn't fear rejection. I didn't feel like I needed approval from others because I was already accepting of who I was. I knew what I had been through. I knew I was just doing my best. And so that allowed me to just start opening up, being more truthful, with people about who I was, what I thought, things I liked, music I listened to, things I was into or not. Just telling somebody I didn't want to stay up late. I didn't want to go get drinks. No, I'm going to go sleep. I want to wake up at 5 a.m. Sorry. I'm not worried if you if you want me to keep drinking beers with you. Like I'm not going to fall into the peer pressure. Just living into way more of that truth started to naturally attract these different kind of people, but also start to build much, much deeper relationships. And I just noticed, I'm like, whoa, I'm having different types of conversations with people. And not only that, but connections would happen immediately. 
It didn't take a 40 minute conversation to start getting into some stuff or realize, oh, this is my kind of person. It was like, no, it started to happen almost instantaneously, which has been awesome. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. I'm assuming just because people started to trust you a hell of a lot more. I'll even relate it back to myself again of, you know, I've shared this on previous episodes, but I've battled with depression. I think that was one of the main things that stuck out to me about your message of your content that you've been posting and depression has been something that's been a part of my life and my family's life for forever. (laughs) And there's this fear of letting people know that's for many years I really wanted to put on this face and this image and this projection that I'm actually great. Everything in my life is wonderful. Look how happy I am. Look how great my job is. Look at where I live. Look how much I'm smiling on the outside. Can't you tell how good I am? Where underlying all that is this scared little boy who's just like, man, I hope that nobody finds out that I'm seriously hurting right here. And, you know, your ability so well to make the transition to actually sharing that message, I think that's unique for people who might be in a state of depression right now to raise their hand and to share it online or to share it with a friend or whatever it is, sounds like the last thing that they would want to do. You talked about that moment of looking in the mirror. You talked about that quote about your thoughts. I would love for you to kind of share that quote again. What was the threshold that you had to cross that said, hey, I'm taking my fucking life back here. I am not letting this thing own me any longer because it is not actually me. It is the thoughts that are in my dome, but it is not truly me. Dive a little bit more, just like, how did you make that transition? Yeah, that idea that I heard was everything in life is objectively, it's neutral. Every event that happens. And the back end is like only our mind creates meaning, good or bad. And I give this example. I was at a Rockies Padres game when I was living in Denver. I went to the game by myself, go Pods. And not a lot of people on the stands that game. And I looked down and there was this family And the daughter was probably 13 or 14 and the mom and dad, and they were just at a game having a good time. And the song Gasolina came on, if you're familiar. Great song. Great song. (laughs) And the dad stands up immediately, like stoked when the song came on, hands in the air and he's dancing. And the mom's in the seat next to him, laughing, looking at him, like dancing. And I see them enjoying and I'm just big smile. I like start dancing in my seat. I was like, this is amazing. Meanwhile, the girl looks up at her dad terrified. Hands in her face. She's trying to pull him down to sit in his seat, just so embarrassed. And I was like, this is a perfect example. This is the circumstance is the same for everybody. But what is creating meaning in this situation is simply our perspective, our mind. For the daughter, horrible. For, for us three, amazing moment of joy and dance. And we love it. And so that was just such a beautiful example. So how I started to work through that was I had been fighting it for a long time. I tell the story where 
I lived in Chicago. Chicago is one of the best party cities in the country. I can't recommend it enough for anybody that loves sports and a little bar scene and some good food. It's incredible. And so when I was living there two years, we would go out every Saturday with friends and drink all day from noon until 2 a.m. I mean, 25, 30 drinks every single. That was my only day during the week I would drink, but it would be heavy. And there were about 12 times, especially in the last year or so I was there, 10 or 12 times, where I'd be just in the bar with friends and all of a sudden there would be a wave of immense sadness come over me and I felt like I was about to bust into tears at any moment and I would just put my drink down and walk out. I wouldn't say anything to anybody. Things like that where I would get home after a night out or not even like in, you know during the middle of the week and I would get into bed finally away from screens and distractions and work and or alcohol or friend. and it was just the first moment with my thoughts and I would uncontrollably start crying. And I had no idea why. I'm like, man, I haven't cried in 10 years. I don't know what's going on. So I say that because there's this drive to try and figure things out. I think as men too, especially provide and protect, do it on our own. We got this, be tough. I had this being very competitive, really into performance and health. I love learning about this stuff anyway. So I was like, I can figure it out. So after four years of really trying to, I was just fucking tired and frustrated that I couldn't find the answers at this point. I had gone to get help at one point. There was one time I drove like 20 miles north of where I lived in Chicago. I went in to uh, see a psychiatrist just to share what was going on. I had like the sunglasses, the hat, the hood. Didn't want anybody to see me. I share my story, what's going on. And her first response is, we can write you a prescription today. And I was just so pissed off. That was the response. I just got up and walked out. So I say that because a lot was going into it. It's not like I wasn't trying. I was trying every day. I was still trying to like be healthy, work out, like do whatever I could and it wasn't working. So when it finally came to a head, I really was almost forced to reevaluate. And I think a big moment for me was reevaluating my relationship to money. I knew that if I was going to start a business, I had to not allow money to just drive all my decisions because it wasn't going to work that way. Ultimately, I had to redesign. I started looking at like how I was spending my mornings to start my day. And it, it really just came down to, I have to somehow figure out how to change these thoughts that are going on. One of the things I learned and started working on very early on, which was such a foreign concept to me at the time, but the guy who said it and how he said it, and I forget exactly how he did, but it really clicked with me. It was that, look, we arrive on this planet in this meat suit, in this human body. And part of this human body's survival mechanism that has helped it for millions of years is the survival mind, the primal mind, or what a lot of people refer to as the ego. The part of our mind that is filtering the outside world and recognizing potential threats. And then what it does is it sees potential threats, internalizes those threats, and gets us to learn how to behave in the future so we don't have to experience that again. Okay, great, very productive for when we hear a lion's roar or we look at certain footprints in the ground or we hear certain steps or even if we're part of a tribe, we don't want to piss off other people in the tribe because typically what that would mean is we would get exiled. And if we get exiled, we're out fending for ourselves. That ultimately would lead to death. And now how it shows up is we go to ask somebody out and they say no, or we raise our hand in class and we ask a question and somebody says, that was a stupid question. Or we, we get feel like- In a sales, in a deal, we lose the deal. Our man yeah. yells Never at us. fucking call me again. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the shittiest salesperson ever. Click. A lot of those. A lot of potential 
areas of rejection, not feeling love, not feeling part of the tribe. A lot of things with money has to do with this primal feeling, primal need for security and safety. One of the things that I, examples I give is like when you're driving and somebody cuts you off, you feel that primal response. Whether you think someone did it intentionally, whether you feel your safety was in danger, whether you feel your ego is threatened, like, oh, they should have put on their blinker, whatever it comes from, that is your survival mind recognizing that as a potential threat to you. And so it creates this threat response. And so what happens now is so much of us are operating and living through this survival mind. Hearing this idea and says, look, when you're living from a place of lack, when you're living fundamentally from a place of I'm trying to survive, I don't have what I need. I don't feel secure in what I have, what I need, the love around me, my safety, my security, even if object like on paper, you can look at it and say, that's why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a million dollars in the bank or if you have $10,000 in the bank or you have $10. It simply comes down to your perception of that. And most of us go through this without ever even thinking about it unintentionally not even aware that these are the types of thoughts that are driving us. So for me, that was really my first major breakthrough was understanding, oh shit, the opposing forces that are going on within me is true me. The part of me that feels like something's off, the part of me that is asking for more, the part of me that has this itch to start a business for years, but it keeps getting suppressed. And then the other part of me that is suppressing that wanting to keep moving. That is telling me not to go up to and talk to some pretty woman because of fear of rejection or whatever. And so I'm like, oh, I have to start figuring out how to get out of my own way and stop these beliefs in their tracks, reframe them, start to reprogram new beliefs to come into the person. I always used to think to myself, what are intentions I can set every single day about the person I want to become? When I'm at my best, what are things that I'm doing that I know I'm at my best. I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I'm patient. I do hard things in the face of fear. I don't let fear rule my decisions. That was the first leveling up that I started to have. It's the idea of understanding we are not our ego, we are not our survival mind. It has a place. It's kind of like a bodyguard for us. Okay, but the bodyguard doesn't need to be on the clock 24 seven, just like, okay, you stay there. If we need a boost of adrenaline to run away from something, we'll let you come out. But how can I get back to being this true me from just a different place, operating from a place that is really true to my core and full of compassion, self-love, and ultimately way more joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. That was pure gold right there. But there's something to be said about how does one rewire their brain? How does one stop believing the thoughts that they have? One of my favorite books is Untethered Soul by Michael Seeger. If you haven't read it, absolutely pick it up. I think there's actually three books within that series. But what he talks about is letting go, really just continuously releasing, releasing, releasing. I mean, we have a need for safety, for certainty, for structure. And especially as men, we want to have it all figured out out and control the situation and what's going to happen in the future. It just creates this rigidity in our life that keeps us super tight. And through the work that I've done with the people that I coach and just my own personal journey, there's a fine balance between how do you tell your thoughts to either shut the hell up, you're wrong. Certain parts of my morning practice, I'm listening to what's called motiversity, a motivational 
podcast, it's like 10 minutes and it's just a montage of like, hey, you're here to crush the day. You're here to become the best version of yourself. And it's like not changing, rewiring what my thoughts are and pointing them towards a certain direction. But then on the other side of the spectrum too, just like you shared, when you were getting drinks with some of your friends and all of a sudden this wave of sadness comes over you, you can't just put on that motivation playlist and say, just think about this. You actually have to go and create space for yourself to mourn, to grieve, to allow that emotion to come through. And there's a great saying that I had one of my coaches tell me that's become hard. It's, it's what's coming is going. It's coming up so it can be released. And if we're just trying to push it down and distract it by having another beer, by book another meeting, by go on another hinge date, by whatever it might be to prevent us from processing it, that in itself can lead to, oh man, we're really at the bottom. So there's that balance between when it's not just say, fuck it, I'm going forward. And also the, I actually need to pause and actually really be with this. Yeah. Dude, it's a great point. And I think the one thing definitely people do is social media, reaching for the phone, the moment of boredom or some kind of discomfort. It's like, oh, let me grab my phone. And you're so right. If we can just learn to be still and be without distractions, it's amazing how much clarity you'll get if you just go 24 hours without distractions. I think the three-day mark is unbelievable. If you can do three days without it too, you're literally going to change your perspective moving. Like you will get so much clarity on your life. So this, this thing for people, it's a novel concept for a lot of people, this balance of, okay, how am I going to know whether to push through it or not, or to like sit there and process. And the only answer is you have to at least try with both of them so you can get to know yourself best. That's how it works. You do a lot of work. Your response to something like that is going to be different than mine. You know what you need. And that's why I love this idea of treating yourself like you would a best friend, because what it leads with is compassion and love. And first of all, when you're in a moment where you don't feel your best, maybe you can't even point your finger to where it's coming from. You don't know, oh, I feel stressed. I don't know why I shouldn't right now, whatever. Instead of being frustrated with that or trying to get an answer, always, always, always start with compassion and love. And the one thing you said earlier, like, oh, it's just like this little kid within is like, yeah, if you just think about, oh, this is what's going on inside of me. I'm still just a little kid. There's still just a little boy that something happened to him in his survival mind when he was a child, freaked out and made it mean us, mean something about us. And I'm still responding in that way. So if you think about it that way, that's when, you know, people say this like inner child work. This is really what I think is I was like, how can you view yourself as like, dude, you're just trying to do your best and you are battling a force that is wired and conditioned to make you act in a way that keeps you safe based on its own perception. So just knowing that, yeah, of course it's challenging and it's hard. Look what you're going up against. You had all this shit when you were a kid. <laughs> like imagine trying to process complex situations into a meaningful way and discern them to be like, you know what? No, I should just be slightly perturbed here and I shouldn't make it mean something about me. Like, no, dude, you were nine. Okay. You take it personally. Yeah, that was the biggest fucking moment of your life when you were nine and you thought you know, it was life-threatening to you. And it just so happens that it's stuck with you since. First and foremost, compassion. You're just a human. It's okay. I feel you that you're sad. That's okay. First of all, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay. 
And just like you said, if it's not okay, then what tends to happen is you tend to bury it and you tend to keep trying to bottle it up. And that doesn't release it. That just saves it for another day. So I want to ask you this question. I've always been a runner and I actually just started working out again, like lifting weights. And I found that to be so powerful of my mental health. Running is great and I can run out my thoughts, so to speak. But when there's something about lifting and throwing around weight, then I'm like, oh, this is actually putting me in a really good state. And it is. It's a constant experiment. What do I need to push? Do I need to sit? Do I need to work out? Do I need to nourish myself? Like whatever it might be. What have you done to rewire your brain, I think is how you phrased it in this conversation or previous conversation. What is your practice or practices that support you with that? Mm -hmm. So always step number one is awareness and like self-reflection, taking inventory. I like using a lot of sports analogies. Sports just makes sense to me. So I think of that. So it's like before you want to change something, like if you want to change your game plan, you have to look at what's working and what's not. What started for me was like, I was just writing. I was writing. I would start the day with three different things. I would say, hey, check in. How am I feeling right now? What am I noticing? Where am I feeling it in my body? And again, this was all brand new to me. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't know. Like my foot's a little sore. Is that something? Does that mean something? I would look up. I was like, what does foot soreness mean? It's like, no, literally maybe, but probably not. And I was like, okay, well, wrote it. And then the next day I'd be like, oh, and then I would start to notice, oh yeah, I am stressed out. So when I'm stressed out, I feel it like in this part of my chest. Interesting. Okay. When I'm nervous, I feel it in this part of my stomach. When I'm super excited or happy, I get tingles actually all the way out to the tip of my limbs and my fingers. So just through this process of checking in, and it was a simple morning check-in. I wasn't writing 10 pages every day. How am I feeling? Do I feel recovered? Do I have energy? Am I kind of bummed out today? Why am I bummed out? No reason. Okay. If there was a reason, like what might it be? Okay. And then I would go into things I was grateful for. Talk about rewiring the brain. Gratitude actually works for anybody listening. Like I know it's buzzwordy, but gratitude works because what it's doing is you are intentionally forcing your mind to focus on positive. And when you start to do that over and over and over and over again, you're training your mind. Oh, we look for the positive in things. We look for things to be grateful about. Whereas if you just let your mind go untethered, survival mind, what's the survival mind do? Survival mind looks for the negative and it wants you to avoid the negative. And so it starts to look at all the potential threats. So gratitude is an amazing way to really start to rewire the mind. Okay. So that's something to look at things you already have, which you're grateful for. And then the third thing I would do is look forward who I want to become. What are my intentions for the day? Okay, so what I personally did that worked really well for me is I would look at areas in my life or scenarios. It started with specific encounters with roommates at the time or friends. And I'd be like, yeah, man, I didn't want to hear his opinion or I snapped or I was irritated they're doing this. or And I started to be like, yeah, I'm not super patient with people that I don't enjoy their company. I'm not always kind to this roommate or like I'm pretty hard on myself. So that's where the first three of my intentions for the day would be like, I'm going to live with kindness, compassion patience today. I put off starting a business for five years because I just feared rejection. So I was like, what if I just started doing things in the face of fear? I did those intentions every single day for about a year. And I had those three or four core ones. And then I would always add stuff based on the day. Maybe it was like, you know what? I'm going to try and make the barista laugh today. Or like whoever I meet in person, I'm going to try and get them to smile, whatever it was. And that just started to change how I showed up because I had to go into it with energy. I had to go into it like whatever. Those were really ways of checking in, 
starting to really learn about myself and figure out places I don't know about where thoughts are coming from, what emotions mean, expanding your vocabulary of emotions from good and bad into this range of everything in between. So building that awareness, really setting the table with a few points of gratitude for your day to actually start rewiring your mind and then looking forward, setting goals, set it, writing it out. So your mind goes, okay, that's what we're looking for today. That's what we're focused on doing today. It seems like it wouldn't work with the intentions, but what I noticed over and over and over again is they would pop up in my mind during the day Yes, as either like, hey, you can be kind here. Or when something would happen, and let's say I was like extra nice to somebody, my mind would be like, look, you were just kind. It worked. <laughs> it was just so crazy how it started to happen once I became intentional and started writing them down. You're literally changing the neuroplasticity of your brain to start to look for and become more aware when there's opportunities for that. And it reminds me of, I think it was the show Bruce Almighty, actually, when his wife or one of the shows, it's when Morgan Freeman is God. And he's sharing with the wife of Steve Carell that she had prayed for patience. And he says, listen, God doesn't just give you patience. God gives you opportunities to be in patience. God gives you those opportunities right there. And I think that's a great example of what you're saying of you're writing it down and you're working on manifesting. So your brain is literally looking and moving in that direction to exemplify those behaviors. So great example here. Yeah. And that's perfectly phrased too. It gives you the opportunity and that goes for anything that you want in life. You will be presented with those opportunities, understanding that and just being ready when they come up, leaning into them. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Tim, man, I could jam with you for like three hours here on this pod, but uh, in the essence of time, I have one more question for you. But before I do that, I just want to acknowledge you, man, just like, thank you for bringing your wisdom on the show. Thank you for just bringing your presence here and also sharing your story, man. I mean, you are the truest example of your mess is your message right there. The practices that you have first had to go through yourself, the trials and tribulations that you've had to really experience, the pain you've had to experience to be able to meet and see other people. And I know like even just being here on this show with you, I'm just like, damn, dude, you're hitting me right in the face. So thank you for sharing what that message is, man. And I'm excited to continue to be part of it and witness it. But here is my last question for you. This show is called The Rising Leader Podcast. So it would be remiss if I didn't ask you something about leadership here, even though we've talked a lot about leading yourself here on the show, but the show is called The Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? Well, I think you answered it in your question, and it is someone who does take ownership to lead themselves first. How we show up to others really comes from a place in the foundation that we've built to how we show up for ourselves. So you know, I work with sales leaders all the time. A lot of the guys I work with are in some kind of tech sales leadership role or have their own company. By better understanding yourself and having more acceptance and compassion for who you are as a human being, again, all of your insecurities, all your fears, all of your inadequacies, everything that makes you a human and embracing that, what that does is allow you to show up that way for the people that you're leading. And it shows, man, like when you are rock solid in who you are as a person, you don't need to put on that veil. You know, you don't need to put on the fake smile. You don't need to act like you don't know something. If you deeply, deeply understand yourself, 
and continuously work on yourself to be a better, like, and that shows up in so many different ways. It makes you a better listener. It makes people want to follow you. It makes you like have so much more empathy for others, which allows you to just lead from such a different place. When you deeply understand what somebody is going through and you know that people are doing the best they can within their level of awareness because you have done the work yourself, that's a rising leader. Man, so Tim, if people, which I'm assuming they will after the show, want to follow you, get in contact with you, what is the best method for doing so? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, mostly right on LinkedIn, Tim Pereira, and then quite a bit more on the Per Wellness Instagram account, which is just Per, so P-E-R dot wellness. Per dot wellness. Awesome. And you will also be at the Arise Immersion this July in Austin, Texas. So if you do want to meet Tim and pick his brain a little bit more, maybe do a cold plunge, maybe do some meditation, maybe talk about mental health, he will be there and be part of the mission there. So yeah, um, all the above. (laughs) We are doing some stuff together here. So Tim, thank you again for being on the show, man. And for all the listeners, thank you as always for logging in and listening. And if you found some value in the show, like this show, give us a little rating on Spotify or podcasts for real estate, or just share it with somebody who's needing to hear this. So with that, Tim, thank you once again, my friend, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. And in the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.